Mindfulness Mode 200. I stopped and I just inhaled and I said, wow, that's beautiful. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Last time I interviewed someone who's high energy, he inspires people every day, and he loves to hang upside down with the help of his gravity boots. Check out Jeff Sanders on episode 199 if you haven't heard it yet. Today, I am so excited because on Mindfulness Mode, we have hit episode 200. To celebrate, I'm giving away a Mindfulness Mode t-shirt to the first five listeners who email me with a short message about why you enjoy the show. Email me at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and just include a sentence or two about why you enjoy Mindfulness Mode. Enjoy your t-shirt, winners. Another way I'm celebrating episode 200 is that I have an extra special guest today. With me is a man I'm honored to talk with. He's generous, he's hardworking, totally authentic. His passion is helping people deal with cancer. He was diagnosed in 2011, then he decided to create a podcast to help others. Believe me, he's been through real cancer struggles, and yet he pours himself into helping others. He's been honored as a special volunteer with Live Your Best Life, and he's the person behind the Cancer Radio Network. Sit back, relax, and be inspired by episode 200 with the one and only Lee Silverstein. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm excited today. I have Lee Silverstein on the line today. Hey, Lee, are you in mindfulness mode? I am in mindfulness mode, Bruce. Absolutely. (laughs) That's great. Lee Silverstein is a connector of people. He has a podcast called The Colon Cancer Podcast, which he created in 2015 after being originally diagnosed with colon cancer in 2011. Since then, Lee has created the Cancer Radio Network. Lee has helped countless numbers of people through his show and his all-around caring personality. So, Lee, we have so much to talk about, and we'll start here. What does mindfulness really mean to you? Mindfulness, to me, Bruce, means being in the moment, appreciating what's in front of you, what's around you, and not constantly thinking about what's coming, what's in the future, but appreciating what's here in front of you right now. And that could really help us deal with any kind of diseases or illnesses or anything we're diagnosed with. Let's go back to when you were diagnosed in 2011. Tell us about that moment. Well, I tell people that for my 50th birthday, my doctor gave me a birthday present that saved my life. He said, happy 50th. It's your turn and handed me a piece of paper with a prescription for a colonoscopy. I was like, all right, you know, and and I've grown up uh, having survived childhood cancer, uh, always attentive to, uh, to doctors and uh, getting my annual physicals. I've never been one of those people that, uh, you know, prides themselves, and I use air quotes on that, uh, of, of not going to the doctor. So he said it was time. So, okay, it was time. I had no symptoms. 
and uh, went for my colonoscopy and woke up and there was concern on the doctor's face, but it just, I don't know how to explain it, Bruce. He's like, well, I couldn't get the scope all the way to where I needed to get it. And, and how alarm bells didn't go off when I heard that, I, I don't know. They just didn't. Yeah. And it wasn't until a couple of days later when he called me and he said, I just want to let you know I called the lab and put a rush on your, on your results uh, of, of, of the tissue I took out. And that's when I went, okay, why are mm. you putting a rush on things? Mm-hmm. And I was standing in the kitchen with my then girlfriend, now wife uh, at the time, when the phone rang and he had done, I'd, I had some other unrelated symptoms. So they, uh, let's say, how do we nicely say they checked me from both ends mm-hmm. and, uh, he said, well, your endoscopy, that's where they go through the mouth. He said that came out fine. And I was like, and, mm-hmm. and his next words were, do you know a surgeon? Because, mm-hmm. uh, we found a tumor and you have colon cancer. Wow. And did you know a surgeon? Uh, I, I did. <laughs> I did. Uh, but what was interesting for me, Bruce, was uh, I was, you know, upset about the news, but I wasn't shocked. And when I shared my story with my audience on my first podcast, I said, having survived childhood cancer, I always felt like someday cancer and I would uh, get to know each other again at some point in my life, even though studies showed there was no relationship between what I had as a child and what I came to in the colon cancer. I just kind of felt like this was going to be part of my life again, not in terms that it was going to be a black cloud, you know, hung, hanging over my life. I've always been an upbeat glass half full kind of person to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I just wasn't, shocked. I, I didn't fall to the ground. You know, my, my girlfriend did, my wife did, but was like, okay, what's next? You know, what do we got to do? How do we take care of this? And what was next? What next was, uh, you know, trying to figure out uh, who to go see and, and, and get a surgery scheduled and thus began a, uh, a journey that I'm still on. Uh, next, uh, those of us cancer uh, patients and survivors, we mark what we call our cancerversaries, which is the, the anniversary of the date of that diagnosis. And mine is coming up a week from tomorrow will be six years. Six years. So that'll be on the 21st of March. Right. The 21st of March. So you knew a surgeon. Did you end up having that surgeon uh, do the surgery for you? Actually, I did. And uh, hindsight, I, w- I, I could have been foolish because... Uh, the gastroenterologist who called me, I didn't realize at the time, was getting close to closing his practice and retiring. And what I should have done and did not do was sought out a colon cancer, you know, colorectal surgeon. Right. Um, I had an issue that I had to have taken care of, an outpatient kind of deal a few years prior by a local surgeon here in the Tampa Bay area who was outstanding. I knew had an amazing reputation. So he was the one I called Mm -hmm. and he did not dissuade me and did say, hey, you really should see somebody else. And I was lucky and everything worked out fine and he did a beautiful job. But in hindsight, it really should have gone to a specialist. But for me, it worked out. 
And did it take a long time? Did you have to schedule something that you had to wait for, or was it just a matter of a few days? It was a few weeks. It was a few diagnostic tests that had to happen. Um, and one of the issues was when you have an invasive uh, screening test like a colonoscopy, you'd prefer not to have to do more of those than you need to. Mm-hmm. And and what should have happened was when the doctor who performed the test had found it, there's a way that they can mark the tumor so that the person coming behind, so to speak, no pun intended, uh, can can see where the you know, where things are located. And unfortunately he didn't do that. So I had to have some additional tests so that the surgeon could see exactly where he needed to be. Um, so I had the surgery on April the 7th. So that was about two and a half weeks later, uh, a few days in the hospital and then was home and, um, and started my recovery at that time. It sounds like the health system is quite different for you. I know it is like compared to Canada. So, you know, in Canada, you you know, you would be depending on your doctor to send you a specialist to go to your specialist and, and then uh, things unfold that way. Uh, Not always as quickly as you might like, I think, but uh, it sounds like it did go fairly quickly for you. It did, but there were quite a few um, hiccups over the uh, months and years following. So what had happened was I was diagnosed with stage two colon cancer. And in the cancer world, it's like golf. The lower the number, the better. So one is the one is the best outcome if you're diagnosed. Four is the worst. And uh and so I was diagnosed stage two. So I talked to two oncologists saying to get their opinion on post-operative care. And two of the three recommended foregoing chemotherapy. They said for the percentage of good it will do you, being only stage two, the harmful side effect, et cetera, really outweigh the marginal benefit that it would present to you. So I opted to forego the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And fast forward a few months later, there's, uh, we're fortunate that I live nearly walking distance from one of the finest cancer centers uh, in the state of Florida, the Moffitt Cancer Center. And I decided I wanted all of my follow-up to take place with them. And I went for my first uh, check, uh, check-in screening with them about four months after my surgery. And my uh, girlfriend at the time, my wife, Linda, I just, we had made plans for me to take her to her first trip to see New York City. Mm-hmm. And um, we're standing in the middle of Macy's Herald Square and the phone rings. And you know the old line, if it's the nurse, it's good news. If it's the doctor, it's bad news. Yes. And highly, it's Dr. Strasberg. I was like, uh-oh. He said, uh, we got your scan back and we see a spot on your liver. But don't worry about it now. Enjoy your vacation <laughs> and and come on in when you get back into town. And I was wow. like, well, that's easy for you to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, we got back to town. And I went to, to get that scanned and it came back negative. Uh-huh. So he said, all right, and we must be a benign. And he described it with a word that had uh, half the letters in the alphabet. And I said, he said, well, we'll just keep an eye on it. It, it, it seems like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. So fast forward later that year, uh, I asked Linda to marry me. And then the following year, and I've been going for my regular, I think at the time we were doing scans every three, four months. 
the following year, December of 2012 and December 1st, we had the most beautiful wedding and went to Jamaica for our honeymoon. And when we got back from our honeymoon, it was time for my next scan. It was that time again, part of the routine. And uh, he comes back, we go back for the results, and he said, remember that spot on your liver from 15 months ago? I was like, yeah. He said, it looks like it's gotten a little bigger. I want to do a biopsy. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so this is, we hadn't, we'd been married 17 days. 17 days. Wow. And so we go and do the biopsy a few days later. And on New Year's Eve, Bruce, at 4 p.m., the phone rang. And you remember my line about who call, who's calling? Mm-hmm. It was the doctor on New Year's Eve on f- 4 o'clock. We had just bought a bottle of champagne. We were getting ready to head home to change for a beautiful, nice dinner. Our first New Year's Eve is husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And he said, I really hate calling you on New Year's Eve to give you this news. But that spot on your liver came back positive for cancer. And I need you in my office first thing um, January 2nd. So we we didn't make it 30 days married. And I said, I jokingly said to my wife, I said, you know, when I said in sickness and in health, I didn't mean now. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> and so did you still go out for dinner, Lee? We did. You know yeah, what? We went you. out for dinner and we had a we did our best to have a good time. Yeah. And um, that next year, that first year of marriage involved the liver surgery, uh, which I decided to have done at one of the finest hospitals in the world at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, who had done my follow-up as a, from my childhood cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and fortunate for me, I have so many friends and family. I'm originally from the New York area. Okay. So uh, Linda stayed with one of my dear childhood friends the whole time I was in the hospital for five days. My sister lives in Connecticut, just about a 45 minute drive from the city. So I recovered at her house for the following week. So we were up there for about two weeks, came back and about six weeks later started a six month course of uh, chemotherapy. Six month course. So let's talk about the mental stress of this. How did you get through this? Did you use mindfulness? Did you pray? How did you, how did you get through all this? Because my understanding is there can be a lot of ups and downs through this kind of a journey. You know, there certainly is, Bruce. And, and if I could just back up a little bit, just to kind of put a little more perspective on this. Um, In the year and a half prior to being diagnosed, um, I had a lot happen in my life. I lost uh, a job that I'd been with the company for 29 years. Right. I got, got divorced, got diagnosed with cancer, and also uh, what trumped it all was uh, falling in love with my current wife. But that's a lot for a person to take on in 18 months. Sure is. And what started me on my journey for mindfulness is um, I'm Jewish by faith but I would not consider myself to be religious. Mm -hmm. And I happen to just come upon a family prayer book uh, in my home. Uh, And this was prior to being diagnosed. This was right around the time I had gotten divorced, lost my job. And I was just kind of thumbing through it. And what stopped me was a section in the Jewish prayer book of what was called daily prayers. And... What's in there is in the Jewish faith, and a lot of people don't know this, is well over over a dozen prayers 
showing gratitude for the wonders of the world. And that really caused me to pause and take on more of a mindfulness approach to my life. Uh, in addition to, you know, most faiths have some sort of a, a prayer or a blessing before we have a meal, right? Right. But as I was going through this, and I, and I actually jotted it down, um, in the Jewish faith, here are some of the things that there are prayers for. Seeing a rainbow, seeing lightning, a shooting star, or a great mountains or desert, seeing the ocean. Uh, when you see trees blossom for the first time in the spring, smelling sweet-scented wood or fragrant fruits, hearing thunder or witnessing a hurricane, eating from new dishes, trying on new clothes for the first time. And to me, that was all about mindfulness. That was all about taking the things we do daily in life and pausing for a moment and being grateful. I totally agree. I, I do. And did this launch a new... A series of gratitudes that you started to exercise in your life. It absolutely did. So again, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be hypocritical uh, for for reasons you know that uh, aren't right for this podcast. I don't consider myself to be religious. I don't pray on a regular basis, but that caused me to stop and acknowledge those things that come across our path every day. To stop and and really go, wow, look at that sunset. Um, you know, look at that rainbow. Uh, I, I took a, I exercise every morning, and um, and this particular morning I happened to be on a long walk, and walked past an uh, orange tree that was blossoming, and this the fragrance of the orange blossoms. I stopped, and I just inhaled, and I said, "Wow, that's beautiful," and that's my way of of being one of my ways of being mindful. And that's kind of set the tone for all that I that was coming for me to face in my life uh, down the road in the next few years. So to answer your question about how did I manage the the cancer part, it was to continue to do that. It was to continue to uh, embrace what's around me. But I made the conscious decision that the way I was going to feel good emotionally was through two ways. Actually, it was through three ways. And and those three ways I encompassed in an acronym. And I said, I'm going to show my age. And that comes from two places. And one is my father, who's 82 years old, always says, I never understand why people complain about birthdays. Don't they realize birthdays are a good thing? Yeah, for sure. You should be proud of your age. Whoever has the most wins. And he's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. But I use the age and I created my, my own acronym and it ties to mindfulness. And when I say I, I like showing my age, I'm talking about the A stands for attitude, the G stands for gratitude, and the E for me that helps me get through tough times is exercise. So attitude, gratitude, and exercise is me showing my age and that's how I'm going to get through uh, the challenges that life throws me. I love that. Attitude, gratitude, and exercise. Tell us about the exercise that's part of your life, Lee. Well, uh, I am proud of the fact that while I was in treatment, uh, I did not stop exercising. Uh, people looked at me funny, and I didn't do it all the time. There were times I didn't feel up to it, but there were times that I was on the treadmill in a nice walk clip. I'm not a runner. I'm a walker with my chemo pump around my waist. Mm -hmm. 
And it was more of a psychological thing that told me, hey, you're perspiring. Your heart is beating rapidly. This is not the sign of a sick person. And it helped me so much emotionally uh, and gave me the mental strength just doing light, moderate exercise on a daily basis as much as I could to counteract that, oh, you have cancer, you're sick. You know, how people who are, you know, toweling themselves off with a towel and, you know, soak their shirt from exercise don't have cancer. And, and that's how I dealt with that. The other way was I took the approach and I was very vocal about it with my wife. I said, the way I'm going to get through this is I'm going to make myself feel good by making other people feel good. So I joked and, and clowned around with my chemo nurses, uh, brought them cookies and brownies on the little day of my last uh, treatment, uh, smiled, asked about their families and their, you know, what's happening in their lives because I felt like if I could make these people feel good, that's going to make me feel good. And I'm a bit of a jokester and uh, I like to clown around and sometimes people uh, refer to the uh, chemotherapy drugs as, as your quote cocktail. So what's in your cocktail? So my first treatment is I'm sitting there in the chair. My sister calls me and said, you know, really concerned at checking on me. And I said, I don't know about this place. They told me I was having cocktails. I'm looking at this thing. I don't see an umbrella. I don't see a straw. I don't know what the heck's going on. And the nurse didn't get the joke. She only heard my side of the conversation. Right, right. And she's looking at me like, who is this guy complaining to? <laughs> and that was just my way of having some fun. And that was my approach, was my attitude, my gratitude, and my exercise, and how I could make others feel good. Well, and I know you continue to do that, because having uh, talked with you at, at Pod, PodFast just uh, not too long ago in February... I, I talked with you, but I also talked with others, and they said, you know, Lee, he just made a huge difference for me because we were new to town, and then uh, he got, you know, got us connected with other people, and before we knew it, we felt like we were part of the community. Have you always been a community kind of guy? Uh, not really. Not really. Um, I, when I was in my uh, career of 29 years, and many people who've done the same line of work or worked for one company many years just kind of live in a bubble, so to speak, and expect okay. that this is going to be what they're going to do for the rest of their life. The company's going to take care of me. So when that came to an end and I was forced to look into other options, it was only then that I learned what it meant to network. And it was Chris Kremitzos, who was the host of PodFest, who was a big part of my life and who is one of the finest connectors of people I've ever met. And I learned a lot of that from him. And I said, what a great way to be, not just to help, you know, you accomplish something for yourself, but a way, great way to build a community and help others. So it certainly, I believe, is a skill that uh, can be learned. And I'm the proof of that. It was not a skill I had. It was a skill I learned, but it's one that I pride myself uh, on using and using effectively today. Well, you certainly are known for that as far as my perspective anyway. And I know there's a uh, full-length feature film coming up that is uh, featuring a bit of your story. Can you share with Mindful Tribe about that? 
So excited. So yeah. this started with PodFest in 2016. So they, this has been a year in the making. And we quickly learned through my story and many others that through podcasting, we as podcasters are influencing people and having an impact on the community in which we serve. And Chris uh, Kremitzos uh, saw that very quickly, that there was a story to be told here. And he enlisted some amazingly talented people and Neil Galarte and Willie Harper uh, to to put this film together uh, with his with him and his guidance, and it was truly an honor. And I was uh, had the great fortune that, uh, that my story was the first one uh, captured on the film. We, they, we were the first stop uh, on the world tour, so yeah. they spent some time in my home talking to myself and my wife Linda uh, about our story. And what uh, what's kind of funny is the, when they started, the film was lacking a name. And they were just kind of kicking around, well, we'll call it uh, The Podcasters, but they weren't crazy about it. And during the conversation, Chris was interviewing me. He said, besides a podcaster, what do you see yourself as? And I thought for a moment and I said, you know, as podcasters, we're messengers. Each of us has a message to share with, the, with our community and with the world. And it was from that conversation that the movie became, was named The Messengers. Wow, that is awesome. I did not know that, Lee. What a, what a great, <laughs> great testament to what you've done through your podcast. And when did you start your podcast? Tell us a little bit about it. Well, through, uh, through that same group, uh, through, through Chris and Neil Galarte and a few of the other, uh, and Chris's wife, Katie, I was at the time working at a local career college, uh, running their uh, career services outplacement department, helping uh, college soon-to-be college graduates and new college graduates learn how to, uh, you know, be effective and be successful uh, launching their 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 first careers. Right. And Chris called me one day and said, I've got this group uh, where we're uh, kind of a meetup group on podcasting. And I, I knew what a podcast was. And we've outgrown our space. By any chance, does the college have any classrooms that are free? And I said, I'm sure we can work something out. And, and we made it happen. So he, so we had the meeting on the books. And I said, well, I want to be a good host if they're coming to have their meeting in my school, I should at least sit in on the meeting and welcome people. Sure. And as I'm listening to the people like Katie, like Neil, like Chris, uh, and others share their stories, it hit me right at their very first meeting, Bruce. I said, what if I started a podcast and interviewed patients like myself and survivors and caregivers as a way to provide inspiration and hope to those people who've been touched by this disease. And as the meeting ended, I walked up to Katie Kremitzos, uh, who has an amazingly successful podcast, Biz Women Rock, and I said, Katie, what do you think about this, about this idea? And she put a hand on each shoulder, and she said, do it. That's amazing. Wow. And three, three months later, I had my first episode. So that was two years ago. Wow. That is, that is a great story. And what a motivational group Chris and Katie have there. I mean, it's just unbelievable how much support they can offer, isn't it? 
It really is. It really is. And, and, uh, there are a few things and few people that I would put blind faith into and, uh, and they're on that list. If, uh, Chris and Katie say there's putting on an event, just tell me where it is and when it is and I'll be there. And if you tell me there's going to be 500 people there, there's going to be close to 500 people there. Uh, they do it, they do it right. And they just know how to build a community. And, uh, and I've learned so much from them. Yes, they sure do. I was invited to speak there in 2016 and, you know, Chris talked with me and, and I flew down from Canada. And when I walked into that room, I, I just couldn't believe it. I've never had that feeling of being so warmly welcomed to a speaking engagement. You know, he just like, oh, Bruce, you made it. Oh, it's so great to have you here. And Katie's given me a big hug. And they're both like, I mean, it was like I was coming into their home for a personal mm-hmm. visit, you know. And I just felt so connected because they are just so genuine and so authentic at doing that. And that's, those are the two key words, Bruce. They are genuine and authentic. Right. Absolutely. Right. It was not anything, anything artificial in the slightest. Well, you know, Mindful Tribe, I'm just thinking if any of you have ever gone through any of any kind of a, a cancer journey, like whether it be breast cancer or any other kind of cancer journey, and you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, there really weren't that many resources for me, or maybe I could help other people. Well, creating a podcast is something that you could do and be part of Lee's Cancer Radio Network because I'm sure he'd help you and support you and and. It would just be an amazing thing to create a, a podcast about that and be part of this network. Do you have a, a word to say about that, Lee? I think it would be amazing. It would be amazing, and it would be my absolute pleasure to be able to connect with someone or some ones who would be uh, looking to do that and, and work together. Uh, you know, I didn't realize the uh, scope uh, and the impact of what we're doing with the Colon Cancer Podcast until I attended their annual conference in Mesa, Arizona this past November with my wife and the number of people that were coming up to me going, oh, you're the guy. You know, I, we, I listen to your every show. My wife listens to every show. Thank you. You gave us hope. Wow. And that's all I needed to hear. And, and there's such a need out there, you know, Bruce, no one should have to hear those three words. You have cancer. And, but when you do, and unfortunately many of many of us do, uh, oftentimes, you know, your, your mind doesn't go to the best of places. And when you can hear someone share their story of what they're doing and how they're surviving or, and, or more importantly, thriving, if that's the case, that's all you need is just a little bit of hope is to hear someone else and say, wow, six years. I didn't think I had six months. Um, and, and of course everybody's, I have to you know, preface that by saying everybody's situation is different, but, um, especially in colon cancer, it doesn't always mean and doesn't have to mean a death sentence. What a great message. 
What a great message. Lee, I've worked in bullying prevention for quite some time, and I know that, you know, cancer in some ways can seem like a bully. You can feel like you're being, you know, pushed into a corner. But do you have a story about bullying that you could share with us where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference? Uh, I do. I do. I grew up in, in, in we have a very close family. Uh, I have two younger sisters very close with my sisters, my parents, all of my cousins. Um, but we moved around fairly frequently uh, all through grade school. It just uh, dad was fortunate in that uh, uh, new and better job seemed to come his way fairly often, mm-hmm. which meant I didn't spend more than two years in the same school from kindergarten through uh, up until ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, being the quote unquote new kid in school is uh, not a not most students favorite role to be in. And uh, that resulted in quite a bit of bullying uh, until high school, high school. That was not an issue. But uh, up until that point. And um, yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of not great memories uh, of being bullied uh, for for being the new kid, for not being the most athletic kid. Uh, all, all the same reasons, unfortunately, that uh, that kids like to, uh, you know, pick on other children, unfortunately. And uh, I do have some fairly vivid memories about that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's very, very tough at the time. And if you can, it's not easy, but, you know, if you can understand, you know, the elements of mindfulness, of not being not allowing yourself to worry so much about the future and stress so much about the past, just kind of think of the present moment can certainly make a difference. I'm going to ask you five quick answer questions, Lee. And the first one is this, who is one person who you would say has influenced your mindfulness practice? I'm going to say my, my youngest sister, uh, my youngest sister, Margie, she's seven years younger than I am. We're very close and uh, she's um, a big proponent of mindfulness. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. There's a number of very influential people in her life from different faiths, which is interesting. Uh, so it's across different faiths. And it seems like every time we, we, we talk on the phone, she lives in Atlanta, so we don't see each other that often. I just got to see her recently. That's part of our conversation. You wouldn't, you know, I want to share with you this great quote I just heard, or I want to share with you this lesson that I just learned. And that seems to be a common topic of conversation between my sister and I. So that I would say my, my youngest sister, Margie is, uh, has been my, my mindfulness, uh, guide in my life. So Lee, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? It's helped keep me centered. Uh, it's helped keep me centered and it's helped me enjoy the little things that are in front of us every day. Uh, you know, in our society, Bruce, you know, you hear phrases like, you know, thank God it's Friday and and the weekend's coming. And I just don't subscribe to that because you're looking, you're ignoring what could be right in front of you today on Monday. Monday can be an amazing day and Tuesday can be an amazing day. Why do we have to look forward to something in the future? Uh, to find to to find that happiness when you can touch someone and have an impact on someone's life or something special could be right in front of you if you just take the time to look. Well, I 
I love that. And that's obviously how you live your life, Lee, for sure. Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. I watched the video a couple of years ago, Dr. Andrew Weil talked and shared a breathing, uh, calming breathing practice. Uh, and perhaps many of the mindful tried have heard this. And it's the four, seven, eight breathing uh, cadence, which basically you slowly inhale for the count of four, you hold your breath for the count of seven, and you exhale for the count of eight. And you do that four times. And it brings you centered, it, it's, it slows your heart rate, and brings you calmness. It's a nice thing to do if you're having a little trouble trying to fall asleep. When you first lay down is to do four of those, four, seven, eight, and it and it calms you and, and keeps you centered and really helps you take on a mindfulness mode. I like that. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be, Lee? One that I'm in the middle of reading right now, which is The Four Agreements. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, I've I've read it, I've listened to it. I I just think it's it's awesome. Can you share an app which may help you to be more mindful? So, I kid myself in that uh I have a terrible short-term memory. I have to put everything in my phone. My wife looks at me when my phone's beeping all the time. I was like, who's messaging you now? I'm like, it's not a message. It's another reminder. And I will tell you, there are mindfulness things that I put in my reminder app uh, right. to, to check on a family member. Uh, there's, a, there's a recurring uh, reminder that pops up in my phone every Friday, and it says reconnect with someone. Uh-huh. Who is someone you haven't talked to in a while? And reach out to them. Now, I will be honest. There are, you know, I may go a week here or there where I click, uh, you know, snooze. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but at least it's there in front of me to never forget to continue to build that community. F- reach out to someone whose voice you haven't heard in a while and connect with someone. Or if there's a family member who's ill, you know, check on them. Um, and that helps me be mindful. What a great message. Leah, it has been such a privilege to spend this time talking with you. I'm really inspired by by you and, and your reputation, what others say about you. You just seem like such an amazing man. Tell Mindful Tribe how we can connect with you and learn even more about what you do. I'm all over social media, so I'm on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with anybody there. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can uh, follow the Colon Cancer Podcast Facebook page. I'm on Twitter at Lee underscore Silverstein, as well as on Twitter at Cancer at Cancer Radio Net. So happy to connect with the Mindfulness Tribe on any of those platforms. Well, that's super. Well, thanks so much for sharing with us today, and good luck with your Cancer Network. I'll be I'll be watching that and watching as it grows. So, thanks again. Have a great rest of your day, Lee. You as well, Bruce. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks. Bye now. Bye bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.